Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host. And with me is my co host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey, everybody. Today, we will be discussing season three, episode eight The Merger. In this episode, the Scranton and Stamford branches are joined, a rivalry is established, and Michael plays for the crowd. The cold open for this episode is kind of a dual cold open, if you will. Is this episode in general supersized? I don't think so. It didn't seem like it was any longer than a normal episode. The cold open definitely is. Yes, yeah. So we start in Stamford, and everyone there is just kind of packing their things and getting ready for the move to Scranton. Andy is kind of the center point, if you will, of this cold open on the Stamford side because he has made R.I.P. Stamford like hats, like like the construction paper Native American feathers that you would make in first grade for Thanksgiving. Right. With a with a construction paper band. Right. Except he has a tombstone. Yeah. That says R.I.P. Stamford. Yes. And he tries to get the inside info from Jim about Michael. So that is kind of setting in place a plot line that will start on this episode and really continue pretty much for the entire time that Andy is in Scranton. He is wanting to get a leg up on the competition and trying to be Michael's right-hand man, essentially. Yeah, Andy's character really evolves over the seasons, I would say. As we're introduced to him in season three and with this episode and him merging to Scranton, he just wants to fight his way to the top and he seems super cutthroat. After Jim says, you know, you'll just have to meet Michael. He says, well, cross me and I will destroy you. So he is just putting forth this persona that he is this cutthroat businessman and is gonna really make his way to the top. But as we see, as the seasons unfold, He's not good at that. No, that that could not be further from the truth that he is this cutthroat businessman. Meanwhile, in Scranton, the day is just unfolding as any other day would. And Toby comes into the office and Pam asks how his race went. And Toby said, it went really well. I finished, which is sort of a weird accomplishment with a rate like was it a marathon maybe that was why he finished yeah not sure doesn't matter anyway Dwight does not let him have that as an accomplishment and says he is definitely faster he has a memorable quote he says he's somewhere between a snake and a mongoose and a panther so quite a range there Pam takes him outside says she'll time him he just needs to run around the building four times and she'll compare times in actuality pam just has a digital thermometer she has no intention of timing him and after one lap and kind of an aside to camera about dwight making her life harder she just goes back inside this episode is dedicated to seeing the 
employees of the Stamford branch and the Scranton branch kind of get used to one another and start their working relationships with one another. And at first, things are not going very well. We are kind of introduced to some of the quirks of the office employees, most specifically the ones of the Scranton employees, that I think probably come with people just working together for a while. So you kind of get these little shots of people doing things that some of the employees are looking at the other person just like, what are you doing? Yeah. And so the perfect example of this is Stanley is eating Jello, but he isn't using a fork or a spoon. He's just like slurping it out of the cup. And Karen, who sit, now sits pretty much right next to him, is just looking at him in disgust. Yes. It does not help that it's an open floor plan. Right. And so it's one of those things that the other people sitting around Stanley have probably just gotten used to over the years. Like at first it probably annoyed them. Mm -hmm. And then they just were like, okay, whatever. That is what it is. But now a new person is introduced to this. It's the first time they are seeing this and they are kind of disgusted by it. You get several other examples of similar things throughout this episode. At one point, Karen is sitting at her desk and just is appalled by a smell that is coming from somewhere in the vicinity. And she's looking around for it. She says, oh, there might be just an air freshener plugged in somewhere. And Phyllis comes over to help look for it. And it is at this moment that Karen realizes it is Phyllis's perfume. And this isn't a great look because before Phyllis had come over, Karen said that it smells like a funeral home. Yeah, it was not a pleasant smell for Karen. And this, of course, offends Phyllis once it is determined that it is her perfume. I'm kind of surprised Karen didn't just lie. Like, since she has already said that she really hates how this smells and has described the smell, that she isn't just like, oh, I don't smell it anymore or something other than, oh, it's your perfume. Yeah, that's pretty bold considering you are literally sitting right next to someone without any sort of divider or anything. You are staring right at them. I work with a man, not in the same department, but I will see him occasionally that douses himself in cologne and it is offensive in that same way. I also, where I used to sit, there was somebody nearby that would also douse themselves in cologne. And you could always tell when they had just yeah. walked through an area. Yeah. These Scranton employees aren't the only ones a little too comfortable in their workspaces. One of the new employees from Stamford, Hannah, is sitting at her desk and she is using a pumping machine. She's using a breast pump, Curtis. Thank you. Whatever. And Ryan is on the phone and just kind of happens to look up, it seems like, 
and sees this. He's staring at her because those machines are typically noisy because it's a suction sort of machine. Um, He's distracted because Hannah is facing out to the open concept office. And Creed keeps staring at her, as does Ryan. And Ryan just says, I'm sorry, it's just really distracting. Because Hannah tells Ryan, take a picture, it'll last longer. Here's the thing. I'm not sure, I don't, I'm not well versed in employment law, but I believe Dunder Mifflin, as least as of 2020, should be providing a space in which Hannah can pump at work. However, she is well within her rights to be able to pump and or feed out in the open in a public place if she wants. It is distracting at work, however, especially in an open concept office, I think it would probably be a little bit different if she had a cube or an office of her own and could sort of have her own space. She's not doing anything wrong. It's just that those machines are loud. It probably is distracting. It turns out that Creed was able to get a photo of her breast at before she put the machine on and now he's made it his screen background on his computer so we have to fire creed here yep and the problem that i have and again we have to remember the time in which this was originally filmed we are supposed to be disgusted by hannah as an audience here and in its original form we're supposed to think she is the weirdo or she's causing problems around the office because she decided that she's going to pump somewhere that's I'm trying to think where it would be in the office that's not the bathroom like they need to be able to provide a space for her to do so yeah we do get some interactions between individual employees that kind of play into this growing pains situation the first is between Jim and Ryan. When Jim first enters the office, he goes to where his old desk was. He puts his bag on the chair and he puts his coat down and he starts talking to Pam. And that's when Ryan comes in and is getting ready to sit down at his what is now his desk. Yeah, Ryan slides his bag into the chair as sort of a way of staking out his claim. And it's a bit awkward. And Jim says, oh, well, I mean, I guess it's up to you. And Ryan says, okay, I'll take it. There's a one-on-one with a camera by Ryan. And he says, yeah, Jim's a nice guy. That's why I got the desk. And that is quintessential Ryan right there. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of Jim and Pam, they kind of have some feeling out of each other to do as well. As we know, the last time that they saw each other in person, things were a little awkward, but from interactions that we have seen between them since then, we would think that they'd be in an okay place with each other. Yes, but I think it was probably always gonna be awkward when they first saw each other in person. At the beginning of the day, Pam tells the camera that she's just very excited. She's excited to meet new people, have an old friend back. You know, people are always excited about that. So she's sort of tempering a little bit, but she is very giddy. 
that Jim is going to be back in the office. Jim walks in last of all the new people, new in quotes, I guess, for Jim. He walks in with Martin. Martin is sort of led away by Michael, and so Pam just rushes at Jim and gives him a hug, and he tries to do this funny thing of, like, introducing himself, like, he's new and they don't know each other. And Pam says, nope, don't care, just excited to see you. They don't really have much interaction beyond that, but Pam is definitely disappointed that Ryan took Jim's old desk. I think she figured that she'd still have him within her eye line and they could, you know, make jokes or look at each other and things would sort of be back to normal. Things really continue on in this awkward path for Jim and Pam throughout the rest of the day. At the first conference room meeting, Jim and Pam are sitting next to each other at the table. So the table's in the conference room for this one. Karen is actually sitting right behind Jim. And Pam makes a joke to Jim about how crazy Michael's video is probably going to be. But then Karen sort of taps Jim on the shoulder and hands him a piece of gum. We've never really seen Jim chew gum before, but clearly that's a thing they have. This rapport of sharing gum or, or hey, I've got some, here you go, sort of thing. She didn't ask, she just handed it over. Right, anytime that you have gum, I would like some. Yeah. It's probably been established at this point, yes. And Pam kind of looks over her shoulder and is a little taken aback. I think she's a little rattled by how comfortable the relationship between Karen and Jim is. Right. Because we, we, and this is something that we have discussed on this podcast in previous episodes, the time frame here is hard to judge. Yeah. Has it been three months, four months, eight months, a year? Like It has not been a year. Sure. But... To me, it seems like there has been a reasonable amount of time to where it shouldn't be a shock to Pam that Jim has moved on and has already established this relationship with another person. Let's say that Casino Night was in May. So let's just take it for when the episodes air. And that this episode is probably around November because Diwali is in October. Okay. So it's been at least six, seven months. Pam is kind of bundled up when they are outside mm-hmm. for uh, when Dwight is running around. So yeah, I'm not sure what Pam was expecting. And I think that's a knock against Pam for one, not being able to properly communicate or reciprocate her feelings in the aftermath of Casino Night. But also just having this expectation that Jim will just always be around and she doesn't have to have an appreciation for what she's putting him through. Absolutely. Jim gave her the opportunity. Granted, it wasn't really fair for Pam in that situation, but Jim has already put himself out there and she shot him down, so... She should absolutely expect him to be like, okay, I'm moving on then. Right. They have another awkward interaction in the break room by the vending machines. Pam goes in and kind of just tries to engage Jim in conversation. 
aunt says, hey, I want to hear about everything. Do you want to get a coffee like after work or something? Not very assertive or certain about what this would be. And Jim deflects. He says he's still kind of unpacking and settling in. And Pam says, oh, okay, okay, yeah, some other time. And kind of this silence falls over them. Michael comes in, makes it worse. Of like, oh, God, sorry, sorry, I was interrupting something. Jim says, nothing, nothing was being interrupted here. Got to head back to work. And so Pam is again just rattled. There's one more interaction between Jim and Karen. And that's when... The group is outside checking out everyone's tires. Pam looks over and as everyone's walking back inside, Karen is sort of touching Jim's shoulder and scratching his back. Like just kind of just a touch, which is very forward and at ease for a couple that probably hasn't been dating all that long, especially considering he gave her a high five in the cold open. Sure. So she's really accelerated things a little bit here. And at the very end of the episode, Jim gets in his car and he calls up Karen. He's like, hey, where are you at? And she says she's at the grocery store looking for a corkscrew and asks him to come meet her for a drink. And he says, yeah, absolutely. So he's willing to do something after work, just not with Pam. He then spots Pam coming out of the building and he tells Karen he'll call her right back. Gets out of his car and says, hey, I I feel like things were a little awkward with us today and I just want to let you know that I'm kind of seeing someone. And Pam's reaction here is telling to me. She says, well, yeah, I mean, you should do whatever you want. We're friends. And that says that it's not actually okay with Pam. Yep. And that will be a running theme throughout this season because Pam doesn't do the best job of... So if she and Jim are actually friends she should do you would think that she would put forth some sort of effort to get to know the her friend's significant other yeah and she asks for details doesn't really do that at all in in this season so that's how we end the Jim and Pam saga and it's still ongoing and I think at this point in this in the show's run i don't think it's fully clear to the audience that pam and jim do end up together if you think back on friends that took 10 seasons to revolve to resolve people could be watching this show and thinking like oh god this could be going on for a long time yeah on a more light-hearted note an extended interaction between two employees that are just getting to know each other plays out through this entire episode and will do so pretty much for the rest of the series. Yeah. And that is between Dwight and Andy. As we said earlier, Andy is determined to establish himself as Michael's go-to guy. And we have already seen this kind of with Josh. He, Andy, definitely did some buttering up to Josh. And he, 
appears ready to do so to Michael as well. He lays out his strategy for kind of getting in with Michael, and that is through name repetition, never ending a handshake, and what's the last one? There's a third one. Personality mirroring. Yes, there. Yeah. So right off the bat, when Michael greets Andy, we see this in action because Andy is very, very, oh, thank you very much, Michael Scott. And like is very much hamming it up just as Michael is, uses the same words that Michael does. And is overly thrilled about a kind of lame gift bag that Michael's handing out to the new employees. And Dwight immediately feels threatened by Andy. Dwight has spent a long time establishing himself as Michael's right-hand man and is not about to lose that position to some new guy. And I don't know if Andy's telling the truth when he says that he is the regional director of sales, because that seems like it'd be even higher title than Michael. But he, but both of them keep saying that the other has to report to them. And it just starts this feud and this one-upping and the entire day they just decide that they're going to try to establish themselves as the person that's most helpful to Michael, that gives the best advice, that is going to help him run the company. It turns out that Michael never even read the memo from Jan about the merger. And Jim is the actual number two. It is that way in title, in pay, in how the company is structured. And that was a whole part of the merger. And Michael says, oh yeah, I definitely read the memo. And he calls Dwight, Andy, and Jim into his office and says, actually, Jim is my number two, which Jim knew all along. It had pretty much been established to everyone but Michael. And so the Andy-Dwight feud kind of just continues on in them making fun of each other. Well, because now the focus is on who is Michael's number three. So yes, it is it it is kind of used to highlight just how ridiculous this back and forth between the two are, is and it it will only get worse from here. It's very childish. The opportunity to meet new employees and to meet people who in his mind are going to be a new part of his family and friends is almost too much for Michael. He is on a different level in this episode than he usually is. He greets every single person that comes to the door with kind of a new quirk. He, like no greeting is the same. There is no, hey, I'm Michael Scott. You are blank. Here's your gift bag. Here's your desk. Welcome to Dunder Mifflin. That's all he has to do, but he can't handle that. He has to play up everything. He is so focused on this that he clearly is not doing any real work that day. When Dwight comes in 
to ask Michael about the difference between Andy's title and his own. Michael's just like, nope, can't deal with this right now. I have to focus on my presentation. Yeah, he calls it a performance. Yes. And he's just like, work it out with yourselves. I'm not doing this right now. I have more important things to worry about. And one of those things that he is very worried about is the reception that will come from his orientation video. (laughs) This is not your usual, welcome to Scranton. Here's the... Or welcome to a new office. Yeah, Yeah. it's the same company, but a new office. Here's where the break room is. Here's some nice places to eat that are close by. It is a remake of the Lazy Sunday SNL skit that Andy Samberg and Chris Parnell did, which I had to was timely at the moment, yeah. I'm sure, but yeah. now it definitely loses its luster. And it is pretty cringeworthy. It is. It also has zero helpful information in it. Everyone knows that the compact cars go in the compact spot. Like, and it, the problem is that Michael has to set up this video, who it also features Dwight, by the way, in order to rhyme and fit into certain things. And really, it doesn't tell anyone about Scranton that moved there besides it's called the Electric City and there's some coal mines around, I guess. There's a coal mining museum. And people are rightfully astonished by Michael thinking that this is proper orientation. And it's particularly magnified by the fact that Toby asked him as everyone was walking in if he wanted the orientation binder. And Michael says, nope, not going to need it. And I think Michael already had it in his mind how this was going to go because he really is expecting this to really go over really well and people to enjoy it and no one is doing that very clearly but he goes like outside the conference room as the video is playing and is talking to the camera and just talking about how it's killing and it's getting an a (laughs) plus plus and just how great it is and no one is really reacting to the video that would make you believe that they are thinking that Curtis, talk a little bit about the integration celebration. This is one of the worst Michael moments (laughs) in the entire show. His way of integrating the new employees into the Scranton office is to put them up on a table, have them sit in chairs that are up on a table, so to show that they are not, that the... Scranton employees are not above the new employees. Yeah, the Stanford people. That they are all equals, essentially. And there is one employee that is not sitting up on the table, and that is Tony. Tony is a bigger guy. And he, when Michael is adamant that Tony sits up on the table, Tony's very calm. He's like, you know what? It's just not going to happen. I, I can't get up there. Let's move on. 
Michael will not take no for an answer in this situation. So he insists that Tony get up there, badgers him, pressures him to do so. And Tony finally gives in and is trying to climb up on the table. He's not able to. So Michael enlists Dwight to help him push Tony up onto the table. And eventually Tony just has had it. And he says, that's it. I'm done. This isn't going to work. And Michael's not getting it. Yeah. And Tony's like, no, I can't work here for you. I'm quitting. And Michael is just like, what, did something happen? Was Toby mean to you? He just cannot fathom that he is the problem. He asks if the he thought the Lazy Scranton <laughs> video was funny. And he's like, no, it wasn't. And so Michael's now, supposed to be? Michael's now offended. Tony says that his management style is just not going to work for him. And he says, you know, I'm going to quit. And Michael says, nope, you can't quit because I fire you. Which becomes a problem with Jan because if you fire someone, you have to give them severance. Whereas if you quit. That's on your own fruition. Right. So not a great start for Michael. Dwight is overjoyed because he wanted Michael to fire someone by noon to consolidate power anyways. And takes the time to point out that Andy has not given him any good advice yet today so and everyone just is disgusted and files out of the conference room and cannot believe that they're wasting their time with this Stanley says as they walk out we don't have to get along we just have to work together and Michael's appalled because he views everyone as a family and they're you know his children his friends his family they all have to get along. Hannah also makes a comment as they are all filing out of the conference room about how terrible of a work environment that yeah, this is. how dysfunctional it is, which is so true. And so everyone is just kind of stewing at their desks. And Michael sees this as an opportunity to kind of rally the troops against a common cause. So we don't know it's him, <laughs> but he does it. He goes out into the parking lot and he lets the air out of everyone's tires except for his except for his and he goes up into the office and he says the guys from vance refrigeration did it they did a terrible thing we got to go out there and check this out and when it is pointed out that he is the only one that did not get the tire the air let out of his tires he says no i got something worse i got a hate note it's so mean and it basically just says, you guys will never come together to get back at us. Yes. It, it's almost verbatim what he just said to the group. Like, come on, we have to get them back. We have to steal these refrigerators. <laughs> Which, where are they stealing them? And then people are like, oh my God, they're at the end of their rope. They are done. Everyone just kind of storms back inside. And what really does bring people together is hating and dealing with Michael. The Stanford employees rightfully ask, when do you guys do work? And I bet some of them are actually, have to be mad that their branch got shut down, but not screened. Yeah, that's a good point. So Michael, of course, takes credit for this by saying, oh, look, 
this worked. I brought them all together in the end anyway. Yes. And he doesn't really realize that, like you said, what is bringing them together is their disgust with Michael. And that's pretty much where this episode wraps up. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about this episode. So there's not actually any fun facts, which is kind of crazy for this specific episode, but I have one in general. So Steve Carell is a very sweaty man, I guess, like sweats really easily. And so the set had to be at 66 degrees all the time so that he wouldn't sweat and then it gets picked up by the lights and the camera and he looks just a mess all the time on TV. But some people will get really cold because that's kind of chilly depending on the season. Yeah. And so a lot of people kept space heaters at their desk or they would have like a space heater maybe in the back of the conference room if he was in the front or something. There was something that we saw on this episode that has to be somebody like on set yeah like it had to be a producer or somebody but they were dressed in a tie like a suit like they were working there there's a shot of when the during the integration celebration where people are up on the table i think it's andy is sitting at the very very end of the table and the camera centers on him and you get Somebody, a half shot of somebody that we have never seen before. Yeah, that's so weird to me because we're pretty well established as to who works there and who makes up this cast at this point. So, so to still have some randos there, unless it's just a lucky person got to be on set, but then why would they be actually on screen, potentially? So that's all I've got. So for firings in this episode, as we mentioned earlier, Creed gets fired for taking a picture of a co-worker's bare breast and then using it as his <laughs> desktop background. Yeah. So that's Creed's third firing of this season and third firing overall. Angela also gets fired for making discriminatory comments against Hannah she says that Hannah is treating the office as her own personal Hooters strip club because <laughs> she has the audacity to pump out in the middle of the office. Yeah, not, not great by Angela, but not surprising given her judgmental nature. Just a funny follow-up here. Michael defends Hooters. Yeah. Does not. Says it's not a strip club. <laughs> Does not say anything about Angela's comment otherwise, besides to say it is a wonderful establishment with so many locations. Yeah. That is Angela's second firing this season and her third overall. Antoinette, do you have a Dundee to give out this episode? Yes, uh, the Dundee for the worst perfume ingredient goes to Real Pine. Phyllis is really offended that Karen does not like her perfume and says it was purchased by Bob Vance in Metropolitan Orlando and it contains a real pine. I cannot imagine any perfume being pleasant that has that ingredient. It reminds me of pine salt. Yeah, it's cleaning products is pretty much the limitation yeah. of pine scents. Do you have a Dundee? I do. The biggest regret 
goes to the Dunder Mifflin Executive Board. Michael has already lost an employee from the merger. And as we will see in the coming episodes, he will lose just about the rest of them. And so the Dunder Mifflin Executive Board has to be kicking themselves that they didn't take the opportunity to get rid of Michael when they had the chance. They could have promoted Jim. They could have counter-offered to Josh and said, okay, here's your offer from Staples. This is what we'll give you now. Yeah, found an outside hire. They could have done anything to not keep Michael around because they clearly were okay getting rid of him before. Yeah, that look that's a real bad look now. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Jim because he is working really hard to not fall back into old habits and to give this new possible relationship a chance. What about you? My employee of the month is Tony because he was the smartest person in that office because he realizes that, hey, Michael's a terrible boss and he's an annoying and he's an idiot. I don't need to work here. I can get a different job. And he quits. Something that everyone in that office should have done by now. So that does it for this week's episode. Please follow us on Twitter at DownsizingPod to get all the latest updates. And keep listening on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow and subscribe and rate wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you listening. Be safe. Stay inside. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.